0: Okay, welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Quarkcast. We're back. It's only been one month. I'm Owen Newkirk. Sean Shapiro is with us as always as we're looking at each other in our usual quarantine settings through the computer screen. But we can see each other, folks. Don't worry about it. We can tell whether or not we've gotten haircuts lately or whether the beard trim (laughs) game is good. Uh, Sean, it's episode 20, episode 19. I had to go back and look at this because it's been a while was on August 10th, and for people that don't have the calendar memorized, that was the day between the Stars' last round-robin game against the St. Louis Blues, which they won in a shootout, thanks to some late heroics by Joe Pavelski, and their first playoff game against the Calgary Flames. So we've gone through two and a half series without a show and I'm going to give you the the floor. Would you like to talk about it's how been, crazy it's been for a yeah, month since we've done a show?
1: It's been crazy. And I mean, I guess that the most incredible thing about all of this, right, is that the reason it's taken us this long to record and the reason that we're back after a month is it's been a game every other day. And sometimes it's been bad. There's been uh, two back-to-back instances in there. I mean, it has been like... <laughs> They, we knew the NHL was going to jam-pack this schedule and because they really want for a couple of reasons we knew they were going to jam-pack this schedule because time is money every single day everyone's in the bubble costs thousands and maybe even millions of dollars and so the quicker they can award the Stanley Cup the quicker they don't have that cost and the quicker they get to an offseason the quicker they can have a normal off season for the 2021 season so we knew this was going to be jam-packed but i don't think anyone my, me personally and maybe that's just as someone who's had to write off of all these games and everything like that and i'm sure there's some people who have been like oh well it's it's normal and and, and but it, i didn't i was not expecting this to be the full I knew it'd be a jam-packed schedule, but I wasn't expecting. You don't really expect this until it actually happens, where you go from like, "Hey, well, like, I'm right, like right now, game, game one, game four was last night, game five tomorrow." In a normal playoff series, I'm thinking about, "Okay, well, sometimes we got a day here or a day there to work on an off-day story or something like that." And like, "Well, if I'm gonna spend time time with my family today, and then all of a sudden I have less than 24 hours till the next game starts." It's 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 crazy how fast this is all
0: moving. And also like, the fact that, and look, this is a full disclosure yeah. here. Family time has also eroded our ability to do more oh, yeah, regular QAR uh, Sean, yeah. you, because of your wife's work schedule, it shifts every so often periodically. Yep. That erased a really good window we had on Fridays. So also means that we're probably not going to be doing our marathon sessions for two reasons. One, because of what Sean said. We have so much going on. And, mm-hmm. like, for example, we just did the broadcast media zooms for both the Stars and Golden Knights for today when we just are still trying to decompress from last night's game, and yep. we have a game tomorrow. The other part of it, so the Fast and Furious nature of it has just been, like, so much that you go, eh, I don't really want to just dive into that Quarcast time right now. The other part of it is... Just the fact that with our window tightening right now because of uh, Evie's nap time. Yes. <laughs> we have to make sure that we get this in. So uh, we're not going to be doing a two-hour quarkcast today, although I, we have material to do probably like a two-week quarkcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we're going to have to kind of summarize this and go quickly because, as you said, Sean, there's a game tomorrow. And depending on how things go, there be, might be a game on Wednesday or Friday and it might be a different round
1: one i mean one of the one of the great things that would be nice just 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 to be completely frank for the timing of all of this it would be wonderful for dallas to win tomorrow and would be wonderful for the islanders we've got the islanders tampa game is supposed to start about yes. 30 minutes of my tv it would be wonderful for the islanders to win right now and for the stars to win tomorrow and to be like okay we've got time <laughs> like two, to uh,
0: two or 3 days that's yes. all we're asking for right it's just mm-hmm. a An inhale and an exhale before you have to go again.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the first night in what two weeks that there's not been a game. Like, because obviously they're playing right now. But like, you and I think part of that is obviously probably NBC driven, where they don't want to go head to head with their own football game. Yeah, I don't Um, think Sunday
0: Night Football is getting bumped by them.
1: No, exactly. But it's it's like it's 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 crazy because you're at a point too where just in our job in our role and and i'm doing where do you it's it's and no one's complaining about watching hockey but it's it's interesting too where the nights off aren't even as much nights off and this isn't a complaint but just to be completely fair for me to do better do my job i need to know because if the stars do win this series i need to be able to be ready to cover that series against either tampa or, or the Islanders. And so I need to know what's going on with that. I need to watch that. And this is not a complaint at well, all. It's you just and me kinda... both,
0: because if yeah. we don't pay attention to that series, then we're mm-hmm. ill prepared for the eventual possibility of covering either one. And if you can't speak intelligently about this, then you're being left behind because as you sh- you've said this many times, Sean, and I think it applies to any type of sports coverage, mm-hmm. whether it's in print or radio yeah. or actual bo- broadcasting is what am I learning? from watching, listening, or, you know, reading this. What do I consume that I couldn't get from somewhere else? And I think that is just a brilliant way to describe the positives of anything, whether it's a pregame show on TV or radio, whether it's reading a, what looked like a 5,000 word 2020 last night, (laughs) which was awesome, by the way, really well done Mm -hmm. as usual. Or if you're going to spend time listening to a podcast is there something unique about it that so you come away going, wow, I really gained something yeah. from that. And it, it, it,
1: it's, it's the interest, there's that, it was like, you want to learn. And the other thing you really, and especially in this business, and it's something, I, I, guess, I guess this would apply to a lot of life, is you don't know when you'll be able to learn something when you won't. Like, I mean, for example, we go and we have both win, even if we aren't asking questions, I've listened and watched every Vegas availability there's been things that me too me as well yeah and there are things there that with Navig and a lot of the times haven't used it or haven't needed it but there are things where okay this is in my this is in the memory bank in case i need this or in case i need that or like even just for example um uh in the 2020 last night i had the whole there's the story in there that people should go read about mark janko and what happened oh my goodness um, that alone after, is interesting yeah after after game three of the Colorado series where um, go read the full story, but just just kind of give um, stars assistant GM Mark Janko after game three, which no one outside of the bubble and, and the Janko family knew. He was rushed to the hot. He was not rushed. He took went to the hospital the next um, at three in the morning because he got food stuck in his throat. One of the scariest moments in his life and what Jim Nil did for him during that time is something that you should read about go to go to the story from from that game. But that's the type of thing where you don't know where this information is gonna come from. I was talking to about Janko about something else. So I had called Mark, where we about just kind of an interview, kind of run of the mill interview for another story. And that was literally something that just sparked from, hey, Jim's up for GM of the year. We talk all the time about Jim being a good guy. You have, you have any good stories that would just, I can kind of, and, and, and Mark said, and that's, and that, those are the type of things where you, you wanna learn something. What am, I, what am I listening? What am I learning from? and you don't know when it's going to come and that's why I've get, and that's why in 25 minutes I'll flip over to the the Tampa the, the Tampa game on here and everything like that. So uh, long story short to to kind of segue finally we've learned a lot in the last, uh, <laughs> last month.
0: And so, we could do a whole segment yeah. on the broadcast media zooms and the style yes. of it and how it's different and Sean the one thing I wanted to add was it's been really fascinating to deal with the series. And we're going to summarize the Stars' playoff run to now because we've missed all of it in the Quarkcast of the last yeah. month. But Jeff Ward for the Flames versus Jared Bednar from the Avalanche. Very different in their approaches, but both really providing a lot of great answers. Peter DeBoer is a complete difference from those two and trying to, as you said, sometimes just observe, sometimes ask questions, trying to figure out what you're going to get from them, how they like to describe it. The ways, Because there's certain pieces of information coaches are not going to divulge during the playoffs. Sometimes during the regular season, but especially in the postseason. And in the first two rounds, I felt like you were getting really thoughtful commentary from both Ward and Bednar. And Mm -hmm. you had to ask it in certain ways, but it was kind of unlocking that puzzle. With Peter DeBoer, he's a different personality, uh, still gives thoughtful insights, but is a little bit more succinct. And so to try to get those types of answers where he goes into greater lengths instead of sort of short answers kind of reminds me a little bit of our conversations with Jim Montgomery, who, if you asked it a certain way, you might get a four or five word answer, not because it's not a thoughtful answer, it just you're not getting that expanding. And so you have – it's a lot more challenging. And also, Sean, I also wonder if it's partly because of how the team's playing. You can feel the emotion of the coach and his answer length comparatively smaller because they're down three games to one than if they were have just won the second round against Vancouver.
1: And and DeBoer is also someone who you can tell – I mean, every coach sometimes comes in with a message they want to get across, but he's someone where you can tell – there's sometimes he goes into a media availability with a theme that he is planning to send, whether it is, whether it's talking about his team or talking or bringing something else up, like you can tell there is, you you can tell. But the other thing, and I wonder just like it's just with, with DeBoer, um, with him, I just wonder too, if it's more of, is, is this a result of him having Gone through this ringer before. Jeff Ward had not. Now, obviously, not the Zoom ringer. I'm talking about the Stanley Cup right. Final Four ringer. And, and for Ward as the head coach, yes. And so this is this was new for Ward. Bednar had not taken his team really. Bednar had taken his team to the second round before, but had not really done more than that. And so there wasn't really all of this thing. So I uh, I wonder. I wonder if there's a bit of kind of DeBoer realizes and has looked at how he handled things when he had those runs with San Jose in the past and things like that just just out of curiosity but but to get to get back on track here um, (laughs) it doesn't take much for us does it no no it doesn't to to get back on track here um the Stars obviously Calgary series to get back to Calgary they're going into Calgary they're coming out of the round robin I'm frankly worried they're not going to be able to turn it around think this might be a quick exit that picked Calgary in five, not afraid to say that people have said, Oh, you picked in the five. No, I did. Yeah. I, I have no problem saying because that.
0: Because in the round Robin, other than that last little, oh, I'd yeah. say the, the first 40 minutes against Vegas in the first round Robin game were encouraging. They were outplaying the golden yep. Knights, a good team. And then they collapsed in the third period and you go into the, maybe a little bit in the St. Louis rally, but Sean, you go to that and go, they got absolutely trounced by Colorado. What is there against Calgary to be confident about other than, well, we remember what they used to do back in February?
1: Yeah, it was it was it was all of the You can't I mean and people are like, oh that stoppage was so long ago. Well what you have to go off to what you have in front of you at the time. And I know I know it's 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 easy to say. Like someone the other day said, someone the other day was kinda of giving me crap where they're like Oh well, how did you not look through the round robin and and think? But the other thing, let me put it this way: the teams that slept walked through the round robin, uh, the Washington Capitals, the Boston Bruins, the St. Louis Blues—they're all out already. So it's not like yep. it's it's not it's not like every single team that slept walked through the round robin flipped a switch. The Stars were really the only one that did it, and they went to that 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 series against Calgary. They flipped a switch, and obviously the the big thing. With with that Calgary series, and if you're picking a keynote moment that will make it into that, that will make it into the the season highlight, is down three nothing, down three nothing in a game where Calgary's coming out to try and extend the series, and there is uh,
0: Dallas goes off for seven straight goals. I actually want to to pull back yeah. that because I agree that that was an incredible lasting memory, but I think it was the Pavelski goal with 12 seconds left in regulation to avoid going down three games to one. Yes. Because yes, it was game huge. four, and mm-hmm. if Pavelski doesn't score that when they tie it, and then Radulov scored it in overtime, and they won the game. Uh, if they don't do that, Sean, the Stars fall behind three games to one. Now, they were outplaying Calgary, but they were dealing with, I think, an issue of confidence. Are we actually that good? Mm-hmm. Can we beat this team? Because like, kind of like Vegas is dealing with the Stars now. We think we're better, but we're not winning. And if I, I look, the Stars could have rallied from three games to one down to beat the the Flames, but it would have been a really big challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean that goal alone. Um, there was the Hatcher goal for Pavelski with 12 seconds left. That goal alone justified the Pavelski signing, oh. just to be just 100 percent totally. And that, and from that moment on, Dallas wins the next game to to go up three two in the series. Yes, they go down 3-0, but that really is that. That's a good point. That really is the turning point of, of where everything goes from being, maybe out in five to now a game, maybe winning the Western Conference final in five potentially. So that that, that that's a great point. And to me, that full that first round is, um, that first round, it set a tone for the Stars for me that carried over into the second round and. And uh, it's still there a little bit in the third round, but it was more of a first and second round tone for me where throughout the season, remember we would talk about the Stars' offense. People would ask, what's wrong with the offense? What's wrong with we the can't offense? can't score. And we, and, and we would go through and we would list things where we'd be like, well, what if the FCC line scored 20 goals? What if Corey Perry found his old game? What if Joe Pavelski found his
0: old well, game? What if and not Mariano just us. Go- Jim Neal would point yeah. to all these players that have done it in the past on their resume mm-hmm. and said, these guys should be at this level but they're down here. If some of that comes back, we're we're a good team. And so in the first and
1: second round, it was it was like almost every single player that we had one of those questions <laughs> about. They took turns, like they took turns. It's and saying, true. Okay, it's it's my game to score. Garihanov has a four goal game. Pavelski has the hat trick. You see Perry, even though he hasn't really had the goals, he has the four. He draws the four penalties in the one game. Um, and you have even, and we'll get to him. We'll get to round two in a second. But even I mean, Joel Kiviranta has a hat trick. Like I mean. You just had the first two rounds for the doubt for Dallas to me were were all about all of a sudden okay basically going through that list of guys being like okay it's my turn to step up and put the puck
0: in the net. How and about it, the game yeah. two goal by Jamie Alexiak exactly. right after Calgary tied it? He mm-hmm. scores with what forty seconds left in regulation yep. to win the game. Might have gone to overtime and maybe Calgary wins that game.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it, that, that's really what it was and. In that in that first in that game six where we talked about pavelski goal, then you go to game six and they're down three nothing and it's a game where it's like ah well we're gonna see a game seven and then <laughs> miro heishkin i mean that's the other thing about this playoffs too is every the entire world who if anyone hasn't been paying attention to miro heishkin and now they have um but yep. he and dennis Gurionov orchestrate the seven goal comeback and it's incredible to watch and that takes them into colorado and and the colorado series one where there's stars were in a spot they were in right now they were up 3-1 um, and there's a place where if this whole run would have fallen apart and it almost did was game five against colorado yes they're up they're up 3-1 in the series they come out that's the game where ben bishop makes his surprise kind of return to the lineup whether that's the right decision or not, we can't really judge because we don't know.
0: I don't know about um, you, Sean, but when he came out for warm-up in Game 5, it was mm-hmm. nobody knew this was happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at least nobody outside the team. And I had this feeling, and I apparently was very wrong, that that was the last time we were going to see Anton Hudobin start a game in the playoffs. I just felt like, okay, Bishop's back. They're going to no. rally and win this game. They're going to move on. And Bishop was begun. He's the number one, so he's going to start every other game except for maybe a back to back. Yeah. It didn't work out that way, did it? (laughs) Nope. So it was,
1: yeah. That was one of those decisions, too, where. It's. I'd be fascinated at the end of all this to find out what is actually up with Ben Bishop. Me too. Because yep. we can't judge it. I mean, the whole thing is everyone's like, oh, well, was that the right or wrong decision? I don't know. Like, I legitimately don't know. And the other thing on that decision before we kind of... Do you think
0: we owe the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt to believe that if they've, they've started him, they were doing it because they felt it was the best chance to win that game, as they say? I think so, but I also think
1: the other thing and now obviously he's the head coach and the decisions come down on him and Rick Bonus, but the other thing that I think Rick Bonus on the social media grenade from all of the, the fans, <laughs> they, they, they 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 all called Rick Bonus a fool or whatever and everything and really Rick Bonus had did what he's done all year, he trusted Jeff Reese and he trusted his goalies. And that is, I think that's something that didn't get discussed enough about where, and, and, and Rick Bonus would never throw them under the bus. He never would. No, because that, he's,
0: he's the coach and he knows it stops with him.
1: Exactly. But that's one of the other things too, where what else do you expect Rick Bonus to do? When your goalie coach and your starting goalie, your guy who's been your starting goalie all season comes and say he's ready, you're going to go with him, and especially in the back-to-back. Do so, you
0: think, you mentioned back-to-back, do you think that that decision would have been the same had it not been the second night of a back-to-back?
1: Um, I don't know.
0: I don't know the That's answer. It's a hard to question to it, decide. It's hard, it's,
1: it's hard to know with what Bishop as is actually yeah. dealing with. So I don't know, but to kind of, so that game, that game opens the door for, and it wasn't Ben Bishop's fault. They lost that game. It was the
0: stars. Oh my God. In front their, of them. their team in front of him was awful. Yeah.
1: And so that opens the door for Colorado and Colorado wins game five. They win game six and they're going into game seven and you're like oh wow this uh, this could be quite the collapse and game seven not only that they go into game seven and they're missing a key a key piece in andrew cogliano and you're thinking man this could be the end of the run and then well, kitty ranta <laughs> jfk yes who comes in not only scores a stunning goal scores three studying goals. <laughs> Every single one of them was, was amazing, all, wasn't it? Yeah, and and he just... just All of a sudden, the stars are... that That is one of those... That's one of those games that no matter how this run ends, people
0: will never forget the the, the Yoel Kivirante game. That is one of those where it'll be... Do you think because it's Game 7 and it's the player coming out of the, the Black Aces and the way he did it and the fact that he had to score to tie the game... And rally the team and then win it in overtime. That that overshadows the four goal Guryanov performance to eliminate Calgary because of the the, yes. the setting and everything around it. Hundred percent. I think more people will remember Joel Kiviranta's three
1: goal game than Dennis. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other reason it's too, funny maybe, that right four no, goals, three the goals, re- three is more exciting. Yeah, but but here's the other reason too because um, I believe Dennis Gurianov will be a goal scorer in the NHL. I think Dennis Gurianov will be remembered for other things. Joël Kiviranta's kind of career legacy. No matter how, I think he's going to stick in the NHL, but he's going to be that defensively smart pressure guy. He's not going to be a major goal scorer in the regular season, and so he is the example. He he builds that classic example of anyone can step up and be the hero in Game
0: Seven. You know who his um, game kind of reminds me of is uh, on the stars is Cogliano.
1: Yeah, he's very like I. Yeah, he's very much a. Um, he's very much a younger, he's a younger, a little bit, I don't know if on it, not Cogliano was prime because Cogliano was prime. was was extremely fast skater and still has the speed, but, but I think he's he's a bit of a younger, quicker Cogliano who, and, and people remember, people kind of forget Cogliano was more of a point producer earlier in his career. Well, that's what exactly. Yeah. And so it's, I, I, he very, very similar. Um, and he's also he, he's also someone who, kind of, comes from the Yeri Lettinen school of you do the right thing. Like it's like he's like that's the other thing about great great about Yelkoviranta. He does not, he doesn't stray away from what he's supposed to do. He's he's great in all zones and you can trust him. I mean, to me, he's a he's probably going to be one of those perfect players of an example who, as he if he sticks in the NHL, will always be remembered as one of those guys where. Even if he's not having his best game that night,
0: he's still bringing you something. Well, it kind of reminds you of the Blake Comos of the world, right? Yes. The B-plus yes. the games all, all the time until he has the really big game once in a while. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so, so, Sean, just to wrap up Colorado's second-round mm-hmm. series real quickly, the one other thing that stood out to me, and I think that the Stars shouldn't be held against this, is durability. And the reason I say that is that, you know, you could easily look at that series with the Avalanche and say, well, if Colorado, who is healthy – they probably beat the stars, right? If they had their first or second string goalie, if they had Eric Johnson, if their captain in game seven wasn't injured, if you didn't have Matt Calvert out for the whole series, you could argue those things. That's not fair to the stars because I think that, well, it's unfortunate for Colorado that some of their big players were hurt and you can't hold that against them, but you should credit Dallas for being able to sustain or survive those types of series because I think durability but for a player is something that we don't necessarily highlight enough. The ability to play through stuff or avoid injury. Yeah, that's the other thing too, that's frustrating me. Everyone says, oh
1: well Colorado's hurt, Colorado's Colorado's hurt. Well people aren't giving Dallas enough credit for playing both hurt, lose and finding a solution when they're starting goalie. Right. Has only played two games in the actual postseason, not counting around the Robin. there um, when Tyler Sagan is clearly fighting through something, I don't know what, but clearly fighting through something. And you have the, and, and you have guys, the Stars team is extremely banged up and has been. And it's an older team where I thought actually Rick Bonus made a pretty pretty salient comment today on our availability where I asked him about Andre Sekera and he brought up how says, hey, Andre Sekiro's struggles in the first round of the playoffs didn't surprise Rick Bonus because Andre's an older player who, frankly needed was one of those guys who probably needed five or six games yeah. preseason like andre secara to me actually it's kind of interesting andre secara to me is the warning is, is the embodiment of the warning roman Pollock said gave for not coming back where roman Pollock said i don't point. think I, I don't think i can be that player who can, who, who can be the same player with just five, six games. And that's why that's one of the reasons Roman Polak didn't come back. Obviously, family reasons as well, but that's one of the reasons. And Andre Secker has kind of embodied that.
0: And you, um, we talked about it early in the playoffs yeah. when there were injuries, Steven Johns first and then Taylor yep. Fadoon. Roman Polak would have been a major feature of this star's team.
1: Yeah, he would have, he would have been playing. I mean, and obviously, there's, there's so many things that come together. And so, yes, the avalanche were hurt. Yes, Calgary had an injury to Kachuk. The stars are playing hurt, too. Everyone is. And so they win game seven. Kiviranta, speaking of, of Sek- Sekera, Sekera has the game-winning assist in game seven. Now we're in the Western Conference. <laughs> Behind now the, the West-
0: offensive net, just where he's always planned to oh, be. Oh, yeah.
1: Now we're in the Western Conference final. Um, Dallas versus Vegas. Um, I don't want to... This is not a Vegas Golden Knights podcast, but there is one discussion I want to bring up because... Um, but I believe Dallas. I believe Dallas earned the win in Game One. I'm not saying they didn't. They won one nothing. It was great. They they demoralized
0: Vegas. I don't they think completely Vegas completely dominated Vegas in the first two periods. But I
1: do wonder, and I just I just just thinking aloud. Does Vegas regret starting Mark Andre Fleury with the role Robin Leonard had been on from a shutout in Game Seven? Clearly, he came out and had a shutout in Game Two. Like in hindsight, and this is not this is not to say that Dallas. Should, shouldn't have won game one. I believe Dallas would have won game one no matter who's in goal. I just don't know. Like, I look at how Robin Leonard had been playing up until before the Jamie Alexiak goal kind of broke a dam open. Would Vegas, will Vegas look back at game one and the decision to start Montre- Mark andre Fleury, who even played well, but in the playoffs, the margin of error is so slim. And yeah. did, I just wonder that. This is, I, I don't know that's something for... It's a hard question to answer because yeah. Sean
0: Fleury was great. And I know you yeah. had argued that Rhett Leonard probably stops the Klingberg goal that Fleury yeah, allows. Does. Probably does. But the way the Stars played in game one, I think, I think you're right. I think they, they win regardless. Now, I think from the sake of energy, that's why one of the reasons why Vegas wasn't very good in game one. right? They didn't have their energy guy in Ryan Reeves because he was suspended. But more importantly, it was their third game in four nights. And the Stars didn't have to play a back-to-back Against Colorado in games six and seven they had to do it in games four and yep. five I think there was a real impact there that you know it's not an excuse but it definitely explains part of why they weren't very good in game one and boy they really took it to the stars. I thought the stars not only was Vegas good in game two I thought Dallas was very poor, so we yeah. saw two very extremes in the first two games of the series
1: well I think game I really do think game two for Dallas was a little bit of Kind of the fatigue catching up to them i think dallas yes. comes coming off emotional high of winning game seven they were able to carry it over a little bit better because this team while well they this team is kind of has been told that they're not supposed to be there and everything like that and vegas has been told they are and so i think there was a little bit of that emotional toll coming off game one more so for dallas um and and so vegas was the much better team in game two then Game three, and the stars. I know people will look at the shot share and they look at the shot totals and everything like that. And I have, um, I think the shots are something like Vegas outshot Dallas by like what 35 40 in the entire series over the course of four games. Yeah,
0: I mean, in game three, they ended up being outshot 40 to 23 in the the contest. The attempts were 73 to 44, so that's a pretty big disparity. But Sean. If you go back to that game 3, Dallas got outshot 12 to 4 in the first period, but I had scoring chances at 3-3. Vegas was shooting from such distance that they weren't really dangerous shots. Now, okay, so they had more possession, more offensive zone time in in the first period, but it didn't amount to much. In the second period, I had chances at 11 to 5 Dallas.
1: So, I mean, there's two things. To me, there's two things at play, and this kind of goes both Game 3 and Game 4, and even back to Game 1 and the games Dallas have won. There's two things, two important themes about this series for me. One, Dallas doesn't give enough credit, doesn't get enough credit, um, because while sites like natural stat trick and stuff, you can go look at high danger chances for and, and expected goals. And, and while you can look at that, I still think we're, we rely too much on raw Corsi for or, or shot attempts for whichever term. I think we rely too much on that. We talk about like Vegas, oh, this 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 puck possession, puck driving team. And yes, Vegas has a tremendous Corsi and shot share. But they've always been, like you look, Vegas, like I saw the stat the other day and I don't have it in front of me, but They've all they've scored below their expected goals each of the last two years, and so while they're an analytic darling in one analytic, the more important analytic and the one that I, in my mind, is of high danger chances, Vegas doesn't actually, isn't as good as as we want to as, as everyone you, wants. Are you wants saying to crown Vegas
0: them. is the Matthias Yanmark of high danger chances? <laughs> I think <mean>, you, you <laughs> could look at it that way. I mean, you could look at it, and it that's it, it, the whole thing. Where like Matthias
1: Yanmark is a tremendous analytic player but it doesn't take into account that finishing is a skill. And, and this is, now I've only, I don't watch Vegas every single night. I only watch them in this playoffs and everything like that. But you look at Vegas and they definitely have some skilled finishing players, but maybe there's a reason they're not finishing. And maybe the Stars also deserve a ton of credit for how they have shut down the high danger areas of the net. If you give a, frankly, if you're a goalie and you're Anton Hudobin's shoes, you Anton Hudobin loves the nights where he's facing forty shots and thirty-five of them are from outside the high danger area. Sure, keeps him really are engaged, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and those are easy, and and the stars deserve a ton of credit for allowing and, and for limiting that and having
0: that system in place and,
1: and keeping things that way. So, it's you know, uh, Sean, I
0: want to I want to yeah. jump on that real quick. That's a great example of the five on three in game three or game mm-hmm. four, excuse me, last night. I asked Peter DeBoer this today. Right. Earlier this morning when we had our media availability, actually, it was about lunchtime and it said, now that you've had a chance to break down the, the video a little bit and go back and watch it. What would you think about your five on three last night? And he said it wasn't great. And then he paused and then he said it wasn't great. And then he said, we'd like a do over, but we don't get that opportunity. And that was it. Very succinct. He said very little about it. I think that says volume, Sean, about how upset he was because those shots, while some of them were dangerous on the 5-on-3, were of completely clear lanes for Hudobin.
1: Oh, yeah, and they, they they got no traffic. And give the, the Stars did as best they could out of 5-on-3 to aid in keeping that, but also Vegas deserves some blame for not getting in front of the net and, and not creating traffic because it should be easy to create traffic in a 5-on-3. Um, but overall, I mean, not – but. The five, the regular penalty, regular penalty kill, five on four, five on five. You're seeing Dallas is doing a great job of letting Hudobin see the puck, and the other thing too that gives Hudobin, that I'm that I'm seeing from Hudobin, and I just it's, I think we're definitely seeing, and, and I don't know, maybe it's a psyche thing for Vegas where they let goalies get in their head, or it's just, or it's, but Hudobin is in their heads. Like you look at like, like you look at what at how they're approaching their gameplay and how they're approaching and they are they are treating hudobin like he is this wall like they are they are they are they, they don't know how to beat him he's in their heads he's he's winning the battle before they even shoot and that's something that i think hudobin deserves a ton of credit for and i also think there is uh and i also wonder and this is just a theory so game two um, they put Jake Ottinger in for the third period. I actually think it was a really smart decision. I thought it was. Oh it kind yeah, of, and, I, and I think it was for, smart decision for multiple reasons. But I also, I also think the fact that, I do wonder, I just wondering aloud here. I wonder if the fact Vegas couldn't even beat Jake Ottinger, if that just made them even more frustrated.
0: Like I remember, yes, Patcheretti like, hit the post. Yeah, like and they it won, was like, a great shot, but he couldn't beat he, him. And
1: yeah, like the, yeah, they, they won three nothing, and they beat Hudobin in that game, but. I wonder how But they how couldn't much, get
0: anything on the kid.
1: Yeah, like, I wonder how much if, if that just makes it worse. Where they're like, yeah, well, you won and you scored you scored three goals against Hudobin, but in the third period, and you couldn't beat the 21-year-old kid who's making his NHL debut. And <laughs> now you're getting arrested, Hudobin. And I, I just wonder. I, I, I don't know. It's just a theory of maybe that adds to a little bit of that psyche. And Let me ask you funny, this, just, Sean.
0: I don't know if you looked through the articles from today from the Vegas Journal Review, Um but I read their article, I think it was is it David Shane, yes, um, yes. who wrote from last night a very interesting point he brought up. Max Pacioretty is one of the few players in the NHL to register over 300 shots on goal during the se- season. Mm-hmm. He was passing up opportunities to shoot. Shane's literally saying, here's a guy that reminds you a lot of, of the way Tyler Sagan thinks, who is a shoot a volume shooter, shoot first mentality, get the puck in a good position. He's taking the shot, and they're saying, and and he's pointing out, he's passing it up, he's making an extra pass. Do you think? I mean, it seems like maybe that Hudobin connection is in that kind of an example.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect example of confidence on a more micro level of what we saw during the twenty eighteen nineteen season with Val Nichushin. On a macro level, where he goes and he lost all confidence and any time he had a chance to shoot, he would pass. Yeah. Even if it was the wrong decision. And we're seeing more and more of that with Vegas. And And ironically,
0: have you noticed that we're seeing less of that from Jamie Ben lately?
1: We have, we are. I mean, and and Jamie has scored some, I like to be, it's the whole descriptor of goal scorers goals. He's scored two really nice ones in the past two game goals where, um, I, I, I rewatched that goal. The, the, the goal against Leonard on the five hole. I've rewatched six, seven times now, where that little, that deft little angle and change is incredible. Still, where he, as an NHL goalie, reads his hands and reads his stick off there, and it looks up until the final second of the release that he is going high, high, high short side, and that little last angle, that last little change, opens Leonard up so slightly. If he doesn't score there, it looks foolish. But that is a tremendous, tremendous play, a tremendous goal. And I'm really glad you scored on it, too, because it's one of those plays where we get to appreciate it more because it's one of those that just gets lost in history. Like you don't even that, notice that, if he doesn't yeah, score. Yeah, like right. that
0: attempt and approach just gets lost in history if it just hits Leonard's stick and goes. But Do you remember, to, Sean? I I think you were in the locker room with me when I brought this up, and I, I can't remember if it was with Jason Spezza or Brett Ritchie. It was a couple years ago. But there there was a play when I was growing up that I watched. I couldn't just – it just couldn't get over it. It was a Marc Messier goal where he was coming down the wing and he shifted just like, you know, he, he pulled it to his mm-hmm. left or his right just yeah. a little bit. I think it was to his right because he's a left-handed shooter. He dragged it and then shot. And he shot where a place where the goalie was, but because the, he changed his angle – as the shots coming in the goalie's in the middle of readjusting his angle and gets beaten five hole on a stand up save because yeah. of that change in angle and it's the only it's it's an anticipata- anticipation shot where that that hole isn't there when he shoots it but he knows the goalie's going to adjust his line and that opens and at the time i was talking about it, the the guy said yeah that doesn't happen anymore because goalies go in the butterfly they're not doing that stand up stretch like that mm-hmm. But that reminded me of that goal so much because it's creating a hole where a hole isn't. It, it,
1: it reminded me of what, uh, I mean, that whole thing, we talked about goal scorer goals and, and kind of using the goalie's angle. and it, It's what William Carlson tried to do uh, on the one chance last night where Hudobin did a really good job of, it was really close to the line. And even if it did come close to the line, Hudobin did a great veteran move of, swiveling his body and revealing the puck about six inches in front of the line, but that was a similar situation to me where that's a play where that's more of a created chance because Carlson doesn't have to throw that puck on the net there. Typical wisdom doesn't tell him to do that. You're supposed to, and him doing that almost catches Hudoba, and Hudoba makes the great save on it. Those little things, those little kind of changing the angle at the last second, finding that moment, um, you take those to me are the, the things that get more magnified and especially in a low scoring series like this like jamie's jamie ben's goal last night to uh, to put the stars up 2-1 on the power play that's that looks so simple but it's such a the time and space to the minimal time and space to get maximum reward there that's incredible that is something that that's an, an innate scoring ability that we've seen come out of Jamie more in this playoffs. It's always, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just you need to, to come out. Well, that's what I'm talking
0: about because yeah. how many times in recent history this year have we seen Jamie in a prime position and then try to make a backdoor pass, which shows great vision that he sees a teammate maybe with an opportunity, but he's passing up the opportunity to shoot. And he mm-hmm. hasn't been lately, and the Stars yeah. have benefited because of that. Yes, I agree. John, you and I could break down this series for another hour and a half, but we do have time constraints because of the aforementioned baby napping or child napping. So let's go to, we're only going to do two segments today. I think it's time for a lightning round. I think it is. Let's do it. It's only been a month. I guess we have to do a lightning round. Sean, it's been a while and we've got a lot of questions, so let's dive right into it and see where this takes us. I'm going to start the questions with Thomas, who writes in Let's assume the Stars can win one of the next three games. Who do they want to play in the Stanley Cup final?
1: I don't think you pick your opponent, to be honest. Like, I I really don't think that's smart or like, like, (laughs) I, like, like, you look at... You look at this Stars team, and you look at how things have gone, um, and the two potential opponents are on my TV right here, and like, I think... Honestly, I think... I know Tampa is the better... Tampa is the better team based off the regular season, the better scoring team, but if anything, I think t- what we saw with Colorado is Dallas knows how to frustrate high-scoring teams like that. If anything... Um, the Islanders are the type of team who have such a great coach, too, and Barry Trotz, who they would just counteract. They, I think they could counteract Dallas more similarly, and it would be even more of a kind of slog fest on both sides. Like, I actually think Dallas is better
0: suited to frustrate Tampa than they are the Islanders. So I actually have a differing opinion on this, okay? Um, I agree with you. I think, I think picking your opponent is Yes, I, is I don't think picking your opponent is – I don't I, think picking – I don't think picking your opponent is a good idea. Right. Now, you can go back in hindsight and say, what if the Stars didn't beat St. Louis in that shootout, and so they ended up playing Vancouver instead of Calgary Mm -hmm. in the first round? Would they have won that? Would they have lost? Look, it's hard to say. Here's what I am going to say. Let's break down both here. The storylines are great for both if the Stars do indeed get there. If you have Tampa, you have Ben Bishop, if he's healthy, playing against his whole team. That would be a phenomenal storyline. What you do have guaranteed is Rick Bonus against John Cooper, two guys that worked together when Cooper first came into the NHL with Tampa. Obviously, that marriage ended at some point. It would be very mm-hmm. interesting to hear the public comments between those two and the facing each other and, and the familiarity between the two because there's a lot. Yeah. On the flip side, Sean, here's what I know about the New York Islanders. The Islanders are the closest team in the NHL to mimicking the Dallas Stars in style. Yet, mm-hmm. every time they play each other in the regular season, and this goes back the last few years now, it's the exact antithesis of what you expect. Because the yes. ant- the expectation is, two defensive teams, it's going to be, as you just said, like a one-goal slog fest. Mm-hmm. Every time the Stars and Islanders play each other, somebody gets kicked out, there's eight or nine goals. It's back and forth. It's like the Colorado series. It's bonkers. So maybe it will finally live up to the expectations and be super defensive counterattacking hockey, or maybe it'll be wild and chaos exactly yeah. like we all don't expect.
1: My one other thing on on Tampa, just as before we move on to the next question, it is a team where Tampa, I think you would say is the deepest, best team left in the whole it, they just showed the highlight um, from the Islanders' empty net goal, where Kucherov loses his cool on the empty netter by the Islanders. To oh, me, the slash to, on Pajot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to me, Tampa is the team who hasn't faced adversity, and even though they did lose to Columbus last year, but I thought you think that's even more of an example of it. It's a team that, when facing adversity, gets more frustrated. It's big It's big name players get more frustrated when they face adversity, including Kucherov. Who and so. I do think Tampa is the type of team that if Dallas was to come out and frustrate them, they would get extremely frustrated. And just you think just, a little just, bit just, like Vegas. Yeah. Just food for thought on that. Like it's, and I don't that know. Is I, like, interesting. I don't, like I don't like picking an opponent either way, but I can. Boy, Tampa can make...
0: scares me offensively more than the Islanders do, but the mm-hmm. Islanders team structure is very concerning and trots is a great coach. So either yeah. way, it would be a. I I wouldn't care because it's the Stanley Cup Final. You just want the stars to be there. Yep. Uh, well, and
1: and, and if uh, if it's Tampa though, either way the cup comes back to DFW because Blake Coleman plays for Tampa. Oh,
0: that's interesting. That's assuming <laughs> that in a pandemic they allowed the Stanley Cup to go to every every player.
1: Yeah. And, ha- remember, and do they yeah, have enough you remember, time? You remember my you remember my rollover days theory for the Stanley Cup? Yes. From, this,
0: this could this could be it. Rollover days. Maybe I guess. Well, guess we'll have to wait and see, right? Yeah. All right. So, Snow, who wrote in my question, do you guys think Hudobin has a legit, legitimate chance of getting the Con Smythe? And there was some guy on Twitter saying that he would be the least appealing winner ever. Care to illustrate what's wrong with that comment?
1: I don't know what that guy's comment was, and I don't really care, so I'm not going to give that guy the time of day on the second one. Yeah, but, that's stupid. Uh, but the, uh, and not 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 to Snow to whoever that, right, that comment. is. Right. That comment is is asinine. Um, but. Before this series started, to me, it was black and white. Miro Heskinen is the Conn Smythe winner if the Stars won the Cup. No doubt. However, however, based off this series, based off what Hudobin's done this series, and even based on what Jamie Benn has done this series, you could make i have started to see where you can make the case for either of them to get some Conn Smythe votes. Um, I think, obviously, it's an MVP of the entire playoffs, and Heskinen was clearly the MVP of the first two rounds. But if Anton Hiddelman continues to be an MVP of this round and then is an MVP of the next round, it's, it's hard to beat that. And it's going to be interesting. And because especially if Dallas wins this series, I actually have a vote on this. And so it will be interesting to see.
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: <laughs> no, it will be, it will be interesting to see how different people view the run because the typical consmite voters, just how everything goes for everyone. Um, I believe it's, I believe it's a panel of 20 or, t- or 21. I think it's 21. So make sure there's no ties. Um, where you uh, everyone everyone there's there's five I believe it goes five from each market that's in the final and then ten national writers and that and, and that's that's typically how it goes and so it would it's interesting it'll be interesting to see if the stars are in that situation where they are in a position where you're voting for a con Smythe which would be tremendous to see obviously. Uh,
0: how I hope we have that argument. Yes, yes. That's a great debate to have. Who's the best player on the team that just won the Stanley Cup that you've exactly. been covering? Yes. So. Um, Julie writes in. Sean, I'm, I'm not going to uh, expand any further because I thought that everything you said really yep. was – I agree entirely. Miro first two rounds, and hands down Hudobin so far in this series. We'll see what happens if they get to the final. Julie writes mm-hmm. in. You said that in your last car cast – so she's been paying attention because it's been a while, yeah. that the Stars needed to, quote, flip a switch in order to beat the Flames. Do you Did you think at the time there was even a chance they'd get this far, and what more do they need to do to beat the Knights? So we kind of talked a little bit about the, <laughs> that in our last segment, but, Sean, they really did because even after game one, they weren't there intensity-wise, mm-hmm. and I felt that, that it wasn't an instantaneous switch flipping. I think it was more of a gradual rise of intensity, and then by the end of the series, it was like, okay, we're aware of what needs to happen now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where it's like, it's like they flip the switch, but they're like, like you know, like those old like uh, sports field lights where you flip <laughs> them and then they take they, they take like they take like uh, they take like an extra like ten minutes to really heat to up warm to really up. Turn, turn to turn on.
0: But you can turn them off like that. So I think I think that's that's what they're like. And the worst is, <laughs> as a guy who played a lot of indoor tennis growing up, if you turned off those lights and they're hot you have to wait 15 minutes for them to cool down before you can turn them back on. So if they're cold, they warm up in a couple of minutes. It takes forever. If somebody goes off, oops, sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, Zach writes in two part question for you guys. One, would Robertson be the best fit to replace hints in the lineup if he misses significant time? And two, do you think we'll actually get, we'll get actual insight to the current injuries after the season ends or will it be more unfit to play explanations?
1: Um. So on the first question, the that, that question is dependent to me on the status of Radic Foxa, because right now with Rope Hints and Radic Foxa both out, you need another center. You need you need either Justin Dallin or Ty Delandrew to be in there. Now, if Radic Foxa is healthy and ready to play soon, you know what. Then you have an interesting decision to make because is Joel does does Kiviranta get bumped up to kind of a top six role? Has he earned that? Do you have? Do you take Cogliano back out of the lineup for more of a top six guy? There, there, there's there's interesting things to play on all of this. To me, Robertson, here's what Robertson needs to succeed, and I'll just put it put it this way: Robertson needs to play with. He needs to play in a role where he's going to get power play time because if he's not going to play on the power play, he's not to, he's not going to give you much. You're
0: wasting he, a big part of his tool bag. Exactly, and he's
1: also he's also someone who defensively is not really there yet, um, is not there yet to is not there yet, and we've seen how important the star structure is, and we've learned in the playoffs, and we already knew this going to the list, but we've learned even more about how minor cracks. Are how series are won and lost, mm-hmm. and so would Jason Robertson be that minor crack in the structure when a guy like Justin Dallin or Ty Delandria probably would not be. So, um, if Radic Foxa comes back into the lineup, and all of a sudden, then you have an interesting decision to make. Do you take out a guy who's been playing for Jason Robertson? Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I would at this point, just because it's also Robertson is a younger player too, and but. As we've seen and as we've talked about, it's not as easy. It's it's not like it's it's not like he's been playing games in the AHL where he can just like oh well, it's just play. He has to to get up and get going in this too. I mean, I think the Stars have done a really good job of keeping the Black Aces involved as much as they can, but there is no proper substitute for live game action. And Robertson has never even been the guy taking a, 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 a been the extra in warmups, which is kind of the indication of who's next in the depth chart. That's why I'm pretty sure Justin Dallin will be the next guy in since he took warm-ups the other night if, if Radic
0: Fox is indeed still out. If Fox can play, he comes back in. Let's say yep. let's let's presume for a minute that Hintz is, is unfit to play game five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and we don't know. He may we don't fight know. through. We have no idea. But let's yeah. say Hintz can't play game five. If Fox is available, he comes in and that's it for the lineup changes, in my that's opinion. It, yeah. I don't yep. think they make any adjustments to bring Kivironto or Cogliano out because yeah. We saw in game four last night uh, that Tyler Sagan can play double shift on the half wall on the mm-hmm. power play. And so he filled in for Hints on that. Now, they could yeah. put Yanmark in there. Uh, he's a the guy that's played there before. But I think that they would probably keep Sagan out for both, sh- both power play units. Now, if Sean, if, if Foxa can't go and Hintz is out, I think it's a no brainer. I think you go with Justin Dowling. I like Delandria. I think he's a good player who's going to be great long-term, but I think that Dowling's ability, to, two things. One is he's played in the playoffs before. He's mm-hmm. more accustomed to coming in cold, having not played for a while, and be effective. And he also has, to me, really great half-wall play on the power play. So I think those three things, and he's a center, as yeah. is Delandria. but I, I just think Dowling deserves it. He's been sort of um, sur- overpassed a couple of times because of role, right? They've wanted yeah. Ronta because he was a winger because he plays more of a crashing checking style game. In this instance, I think Dowling's the guy.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And to, to answer the second part of Zach's question, do you think we'll get actual insight into the current injuries after the season ends? Um, I think, I think we will. I, I think as we've seen with other teams that are out of the bubble, we've learned more about what guys have and what guys haven't had. Um, I don't think we'll get as much as we typically would, not because of the team keeping it hidden but the nature of how these things normally come out so to kind of explain to the listeners how this normally comes out typically exit interview day we go down to the american Airlines center we talk to guys they make guys available it's kind of an open locker room we're able to grab guys here and there so that's why you learn more about injuries then because it's less formal it's less it's more of a kind of Although
0: jim neal does sometimes have the injury news dump but that's
1: Typically for guys who are going to have to get something fixed Correct. in the offseason. Re- so not like necessarily
0: Andrew- guys with nagging things.
1: And so, like, for example, a guy like uh, like Ben Bishop's thing, I'm sure we'll find out what it is. But, like, Andrew Cogliano, if, if he stays in the lineup and the Stars win the next game and all of a sudden his his injury, we may never know because Jim Nill will be like, that's, that's three weeks old. Like, I where- think
0: we're going to find out about Sagan. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to find out about a Bishop. I'd be really interested to know who's got an injury that we don't know that's playing through it.
1: Yeah, and, and and those are the type of things where I think we'll still get that list, but it won't be as expansive because we won't have those one-on-one times. Like, I learned way more about Zuccarello's injury last year from the playoffs because he had the time to talk to me and in the locker and would point, oh, I got the shot in this part of my arm or that part of my arm. Like We're not going to get as in-depth because the pandemic doesn't allow it. I agree but with that. But that's because of that. So...
0: Um, moving ahead Brian writes in as effective as Dallas Stars low scoring great defense hockey is how scary is it to other teams that they beat the abs by flipping a completely different style for long stretches what has made them able to adapt so effectively to both extremes I actually think that's a really great point yeah. by Brian is Sean mm-hmm. they are not well the Stars are are defiant that they're playing Dallas Stars hockey they were able to sort of mold their game towards the opponent specifically. So they're still playing with their structure, but because they were playing a team that was going to be more offensive, they knew they had to do something and get to the net more. I also don't think that Colorado is good as good at boxing out around their net Vegas has. And that's why the stars haven't gotten in tight more and been able to get those second and third chance opportunities.
1: This is something that I um, and the other thing about the stars and there is a theme between the two. Well, them them, well they are going to the low where they've been playing more low scoring games. Went from more high octane in the second round. One thing that connects the stars completely though that I think you have to give the coaching staff a ton of credit for is under Rick Bonus in this playoff run. And maybe this is the stamp of a Rick Bonus team because we don't know what a Rick Bonus team looks like in the regular season. To be frank, like we—he we, was playing; he had to play Jim Montgomery system. Right. He had to play
0: that way. So maybe—and really, stamp, when he had f- time to put his stamp on it, it was for the playoffs. Yeah.
1: And so maybe the stamp of a Jim Montgomery team—I am mean, sorry—a Rick Bonus team. Maybe the stamp of a Rick Bonus team. And if this is the stamp of a Rick Bonus team, he definitely probably should get the job. Um, maybe the stamp of a Rick Bonus team is. They play to the opponent's
0: weakness, no matter what it is. You know what that reminds me of? That's a Bill Belichick style. Play yeah, well, that's... to the strength that you have on your roster and utilize that to attack the weaknesses of the opponent you're playing, right? Because we know, yeah. Because we know, for
1: example, with Dallas, with Dallas, we know Colorado we, when they're playing Colorado. Colorado is not great defensively, and they're gonna get beat. Okay, let's beat them. Let's beat them where we know where they know they hurt. Vegas, we know that. They, they struggle to, to really finish. They struggle to get to those high-danger areas. Let's, let's, let's help them continue to struggle to get to those high-danger areas. And if, if, if Rick Bonus is, is – and I don't know how well you can apply this to a regular season. I don't know what it would look like with your stamp. But if, if, if you're able to play to your opponent's weakness on every night, you're going to win way more games than you're going to lose. And Wouldn't it be
0: great to have this conversation with Bones once this playoff run is over? Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, part of it, Sean, is you're right. A series is different because you're playing the same team over and over. And so you have to make tweaks and tactical adjustments. And you can because your total focus is that team. In the regular mm-hmm. season, you play a different team every night. Occasionally, you play back-to-backs against the same team. But yeah. really, it's always changing. And so you really have to focus more on how your team is playing. But there, it the coaches are lying to everybody when they say they never look at tendencies for other teams. Oh, 100%. Um, uh, Trex 20 writes in a few weeks ago, I got a craving for rainbow sherbet, something I haven't had since I was a kid. Every night I've eaten it while watching the game. The stars have won. So he's saying every time that he's eaten it, watching the game, the stars have won. I don't have a question. I just want to make sure rainbow sherbet and I get proper credit for this run. So Sean, as I quickly read this and laugh, my question is why isn't he eating it every game? Cause the stars have not gone undefeated in the playoffs.
1: Yep. And I guess the other question too would be, did, did they go and get, is there a, like a pint of rainbow sherbet in the freezer or is there like a, like kind of the big tub? No, you know, is is, is this coming out of a tub in the freezer or is there like a sherbet shop nearby where they're making a run to go get sherbet before every game? Interesting
0: question. And we also sparked the debate of you pronouncing it with an extra R that doesn't exist that (laughs) many people do. And it drives me bonkers, but we'll get over that for now. Um, Kevin writes in, do you see Otter playing any to relieve Dobby? Nope. Dudes no, played his ass off, but not sure Bones will pull another game five goalie switch. No,
1: no, that's, that's not happening. Okay. To I mean, quote my
0: week. occasional ticket fill-in show, Ot- Ottinger will play as the last resort. No, I mean, that's not happening. Our, our buddy Raphael from Switzerland has sent us two questions, so I'm going to read them both and then we'll go okay. into it. Uh, Welcome back. If someone had told you after the round robin that the Stars would make it this far and maybe further, but don't want to jinx it, what kind of names would you have called them? And then, so he's saying, if someone had told you in the... Oh, would you have called people names? Oh, I see. So, Sean, you get a Twitter question. Someone says, hey, Stars are going to... You watch the round robin. They're going to get to the conference final, maybe the Stanley Cup final. Would you have called them a bunch of insults saying they're an idiot for saying that the stars could get that far after watching some really bad stars performances in the round robin
1: i wouldn't have called them insults i would have called them optimistic (laughs) like i would have called them optimistic i wouldn't have called
0: them insults but okay so second question i i think his point is that you're right we probably would have thought they were a little bit overly enthusiastic about their team more hopeful than they were analytical second question whoever makes it to the final do you think they stand a chance against the lightning if it's them of course just asking since they've been projected to win the whole thing from the beginning
1: i think no and as we said before i i think they do i think whichever team gets to the final i think they will have a chance against tampa i also think that this is just to be completely frank about the stars team i mean with how they've gone through the ebbs and flows of the roller coaster of all of this, now they keep finding a way at the end. I mean, can you really bet against them? Like, can you really think that? And this isn't even like. So this is like there are times when teams have runs like this and they're not good. Just to be like, there, <laughs> like, there, there are times like, like the Panthers going to the Stanley Cup final it was in 90- what '96.
0: That was the 96. Van Beesbrook Panthers? Yeah. I think it was then 96.
1: They, they went and they just ran out of gas there. They weren't a team that was supposed to be there. People forget this Dallas team is a good team even before this run. Right. They had one of the best records in the regular season. If you take if you lop off the first nine games and the last nine games, they had the best record in the NHL. So, yes, they are having an unexpected run based on how they went into the break. But based off the stars from November 1st until February fifteenth, sixteenth, whatever you want to call it, this is this this should have been expected. And so, yes, which in Vegas, if Vegas comes back and win this series, yes, they'll have a chance against Tampa. I think the Islanders could still beat Tampa. I mean, I think this series, I think this setup, while Tampa would be the will be the favorite probably, I still think this setup allows for any team to still win this whole thing.
0: I agree with that. Crawdaddy writes, in, where does this playoff run rank among all time stars postseasons? Sean, to me, the answer is. If they get to the final round, then obviously it gets up there with ninety-nine and two thousand. It's different because of the fact that there are no fans and no home arenas. Uh you just imagine what the mm-hmm. overtime game with yeah. Radulov at home would have been like. What it would have been like last night with Pavelski scoring a sort of a you know against the run of of play goal and then yeah. the power play goal for Jamie Benn and then hanging on and the excitement around the city of Dallas, I, I think that that's hard to compare with the, the late 99, early 2000 runs because of the fact that th- that aspect is lacking. But you have to wait till they get to the Stanley Cup final before you can compare with those two.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to, like right now, those two clearly are one and two. Uh, the To get, I mean, if, if, they, if they win the whole thing, it's definitely then, then you make your arguments of whether it's one or two. Um, But like right now, this is up there with, okay, this is up there with 2000, 2000, uh, 2008, last time they went to the Western Conference final. And you look at things like that, and it's up there with that. And if they win, and I think kind of amongst the, the weirdness of all this, and this may not rank as far as enjoyment for fans, but as ranked as runs you'll always remember, you'll never be forgotten. Like, it's already in the top three for things that will never be forgotten because of the circumstance. How, what do you think,
0: uh, compared to your old, your point just a minute ago about teams running out of gas, how do you com- put that in the context of the 08 Stars run? Were they, well, a, were they a good team that just faced a better team? Were they yeah. a team that overperformed their expectations and then ran out of steam? I mean, they, they ran into... That was because... I mean, That's a good question. Yeah. It's hard. I'm not sure if that is a great example, but it's not yeah. completely off base, right? No, it's not completely off base, no. I mean, look, what, it was, uh, what was it? The Red Wings, right, in, in 08? Yeah. They were mm-hmm. a really good team. They were, they were. So, oh well. All right, Justin writes in, the Stars seem to get better every round since the end of the round robin. Is this because Bonus is able to put his fingerprints on the team or a combination of goaltending guys is stepping up at the right time?
1: I think we kind of touched on most of this already. The one thing I'll add that we really, the one thing that I've said multiple times and in various places about this, um, I do think Rick Bonus has been the perfect head coach for this situation, for this bubble, because I think he has treated the players more like people. He's treated them like humans, and I've used the line where he's created an atmosphere where the guys are ready to run through a wall for him, even though he'll never ask them to run through that wall. Like I think that is I, th- I think Rick Bonus deserves a ton of credit for that, um, and I've said that multiple times before. I don't have any issue saying it again. But that that to me, we kind of touched on the other things, just kind of how they flipped the switch. The st- like we kind of t- as we went through our kind of recap before.
0: So uh, Justin also helped out Kenny, who said he's technologically challenged and couldn't understand how to add a uh, hashtag to his question. So he did that for him. So we're going to give Kenny the benefit of the oh. doubt. Kenneth writes in. How uh, what are your thoughts on the refs and the missed calls against Perry and Sagan? Obviously, he's alluding to the Alex Tuck incidents of games three and four.
1: Well, they're both bad missed calls. I mean, the uh, the, the the Tuck one on Sagan is a slew foot, which is should have been that's that's a match penalty. A slew foot's a match penalty. Automatic. Um, automatic. Um, well, the other one was the other one on Perry. It was it's a blatant interference call it's i don't think that that one's not that's that one's actually not as dirty i really think that one was more of that one was more of him i think that was more by accident but then not going out of the way to get out of your own way if that makes sense i right? feel like
0: he leaned into it a little bit you know, yeah but my
1: point right being is you're right he didn't he wasn't he wasn't going out headhunting but he didn't go in but i he think he
0: recognized did, the opportunity and didn't exactly, try to get out of the way exactly and so, then the, 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 leaned a little and pushed his stick forward yeah, a little, and then Perry got absolutely blindsided. Yeah, but the
1: slew foot was dirty. The slew foot should I agree.
0: There's a different scale there. Um, yeah. So to um, to Fortunately, me, Perry seemed to be okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, to me... And Sagan, um, for that matter. They're inexcusable misses by the refs. Like, I don't understand... Like, if you if you want... If, if, if Pete DeBoer wants to talk about how his team is the puck more and... And they're drawing penalties that way. That's fine. I'm okay with
0: that. But because it does, in, so, in certain degree, he's right. Yeah, but you can't
1: excuse the officials for missing blatant things like that, that are frankly, the slew foot in particular, is still baffling him because that's a play that needs to be relegated out of the game. That is a play that it's very dangerous. Needs, that's very dangerous. And, and, and on top of that, too, where I know... I know, the M- I know the NHL isn't the NBA where superstars get protected as much, but, like, it's Tyler Sagan who's getting slew-footed, too. Like, it's not like it's, like, no disrespect to Joel Hanley, but if Joel Hanley gets
0: slew-footed, the refs don't know who Joel Hanley is. Like, like, to me, Sean, it's the difference between Sagan and Corey Perry. People mm-hmm. argue all the time, well, it's Corey Perry. He deserves it. He runs around, you know, it's karma. You know, comes, goes around, what goes around, comes around. And I disagree. I think that even if a guy is a noted jerk on the ice and Perry's gotten away with some nasty little butt ends and jabs and stuff in this series. Okay. I I admit that I, I'm not trying to hide behind that. He still doesn't deserve to get blindsided, nor does Tyler Sagan, nor does Joel Hanley. Mm -hmm. Correct. All right. Uh, David writes in: What's a bigger loss for this postseason, assuming longer injuries, Foxa or Hints? And what player on the would the Stars fear the most if they play the Lightning or the Islanders?
1: So we already kind of tackled the Lightning Islanders thing, but just to answer David's question, first one about Foxa, based on how they're playing right now, Foxa is a bigger loss. Agree. Because I think like Hints, Hints is great and he's been good, but he's been so frustrating to me where he hasn't really had. he's been so inconsistent he's been yeah he's been maddeningly inconsistent and fox has been so good and he's been so consistent in whether it was helping contain the McKinnon line in the second in the last round whether it's been matching up with with some of the, with with the Stastny line a little bit more in in this round how about scoring me, big
0: goals in front on the power play
1: exactly so to me fox is the bigger loss right now based on how he's playing um Obviously, if Rope Hintz could take that consistency and, and, and have it, then all of a sudden you'd be – you could have more of a bigger argument. But to me, based on how they're playing right now, the Fox injury hurts. And obviously, kudos to Dallas for winning – being
0: 1-0 and already without him. To me, just to answer the second question a little bit, the player that I would be the most concerned about would be Nikita Kucherov because he's one mm-hmm. of my favorite players in the current NHL to watch. Now, Br- Braden Point has been excellent, scoring a ton, ton of points, but – there's something about Kucherov, Sean, that just elevates him. His skill level is off the charts, and if he's on, he's so lethal.
1: Yeah, and we saw what he does in the biggest moments. We saw the goal. He's so good. Goal.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, um, Ardell writes in, how good was, has John Klingberg been this postseason? What do you notice about his game or mindset? And then he adds in the last resort uh, uh, sort of not-so-hidden joke, but huzzah.
1: Um, I mean, Klingberg's been very good in this playoff. He's been very good. He and and Miro have really been the offensive drivers. Um, How good Miro has been has overshadowed how good Klingberg has been. Uh, And on the flip side, I think that's also made a better version of the Stars because having the elite Norris-level type play that Miro is giving has allowed John Klingberg to be number two. And I think John Klingberg... And his mindset and his psyche, Um, to answer Ardell's second question about mindset, um, I think his mindset is, I think John Klingberg has realized that it's okay for him to be the number two defenseman on a team. And I think that is something where the Stars really... Do you think he struggled with that for a while? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I do too. And I think it showed in his play. Yeah, John is a very proud person. He has an ego in a good way. That's why he made the NHL. And it was bruised because he's a guy who's told us before he wanted to win a Norris Trophy. He wants to win one. And it's, it, the ego got bruised when Miro came in. And all of a sudden, it's hard to win a Norris Trophy when you're not the best defenseman on your team. Yeah, um, And so I, I think he has accepted kind of the reality of if he wants to st- win a Stanley Cup and he wants to be on the best possible team with Miro, he, doesn't need, he, he needs to stop worrying about that. And I think it's freedom, freedom a little bit.
0: And he's still so dangerous and shows that he can be a big part of this team with a one-two punch. Um, And Sean, just to add one more thing to it, you've made this comment a long time ago before it became sort of a uh, talking point in the public in this postseason run, but the ability to roll Klingberg and Haskin and every other shift if you need to and eat up 40 minutes plus of, of game time is a huge weapon for the Stars. The other thing that's popped up too
1: that I'll give myself a pat on the back that I've talked about for years now and, and is now coming up way more so in the national sphere of discussion is people are realizing how unique John Kleinberg's shot is. Mm-hmm. And it's something where I've talked about that for years where that he's had that tippable shot where he shoots high from the point when no one does that in the NHL. Especially and, or
0: the wrist shot.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. Because everybody so. bombs these low slap shots or maybe upstairs a little bit, but a lot of guys don't shoot high like that. Mm-hmm. All right, two more, and we'll wrap up this uh, latest edition of the Quarkast. French Toast writes in, Hi, guys, this team seems particularly bonded to one another. I sense genuine joy and fun from them on some of the Zoom video and on Jeff Totes' videos, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I see affection and laughter. Do you sense that this as well, and how does it help them win?
1: I think you have to like each other to be able to survive six weeks in a bubble. <laughs> just to be just completely frank, like you can't. Like you can't have like a team that wasn't close wasn't gonna win this thing. You can't not like each other and be, and, and be close and, and win in a bubble. And and it's not it's not as much like I don't get I still don't get much from the Zoom stuff. You can pick up on little things here and there, but to me the Zoom is still more performance art. What I get way more from is stuff you see from Totes talking to players kind of on the outside, talking to guys about talking to guys in other conversations, for other interviews that I've done. That's when you get more of this feeling of like you know what this team. Knows why they went in there. They know what they're doing as a group. And
0: do you feel like you I, get more from Instagram videos than you do from Zoom meetings? 100 percent. Like you, get, <laughs> you get way more from that. You get, I mean, <laughs> like watching Anton Udobin put golf
1: balls on a tee for yeah. Blake Como. So, like, I, I think this is a. I, this is a very close team, and it's a team that I think it's both close in. As the players go, and I think they also are playing for their coach and they're and they're are really playing for a Rick bonus and I think they've got a bit of that chip on their shoulder of we've gone through so much crap already that some of it not self-inflicted by ourselves but self-inflicted within our organization, having a coaching change, having this and that in our own losing streaks and everything, that they're like, Okay, anything else that's getting thrown at us we can get through because we've already figured that out. We've already figured out to get through the adversity. And I think that's one of the reasons they're still here. And I think it's one of the reasons if they do win this whole thing, that will be one of the reasons. It will be okay. This team, this this was a team. This was a team that really
0: had pet everything for each other. I also want to highlight what Rick Bonus has done to help with this. I don't mm-hmm. think he's the driving force behind their getting along and stuff. I th- think you have to d- give the players a lot of credit, especially the leadership, but Sean, you asked, I think it might've been your question or somebody else was asking about the black aces and you and I have both noticed since they started showing little snippets of practice video is that bone said he's made a specific point to incorporate them in some of the regular practices and not just keep them sort of ushered aside in their own skate. They've had the aces with the main group, a lot, and he's tried to make them feel very much a part of it, especially because he knows that if you need to call on them, they have to feel like they're, they're important, that they're not just this extra group that's off playing pretend hockey.
1: 100%. And it's, it's the other thing, too, that that is why, I mean, you just said it, but just like one of the main reasons, Joel Handley and Yoel Kiviranta and Whoever comes into the lineup for Radic Fox uh, will probably will feel part of the team already. Is they never haven't been part of the team. Um, and even when there's been times, one of the things that I think has gone under the radar is there was a day where the the Stars had an off day. I can't remember which was, but they had an off day after one of the games, and the players that all played in. And, and Rick Bonus sent the, the taxi squad to go golfing, and just something like that, where taking the time to Instead of having that taxi squad just kind of sit at the hotel and, and do nothing, he took the time. He and Jim Nil, give Jim Nil a ton of credit for this too, Yep. basically went and said, okay, let's find a way to keep these guys engaged. Let's let them know we're still thinking about them. And it was planned by Rick Bonus and, and Jim Nil. It wasn't. And it was, how smart to
0: get them mentally refreshed, mm-hmm. just like it was sending the team to the driving range, to, as he emphasized a lot. We haven't touched grass in a couple of weeks. Yeah. We haven't, you know, been fresh air outside of the, the courtyard. Yeah. And, and Sean, I imagine that there's a, le- a lot less lingering in the common areas, not in the players-only lounge for each team, but the actual common outdoor spaces as this playoff has gone on because now there's only four teams left. Two teams are off getting ready to play a game that day. If it's a non-game day, if you go out in the courtyard, it might be you and the guys you're playing in the Western Conference Final, and you don't want to yeah. sit – 50 feet from the Vegas guys on that now if it wasn't a competitive situation you might really get along with those guys you don't want to sit right next to your opponents for that you want to you want some separation yep okay last question before we wrap up this lightning round Kyle writes in what's the probable status of the AHL season
1: so the AHL is like a bunch of other minor leagues or uh like I think the Q and all the CHL leagues have listed December 5th, I believe, as the earliest start. I think December 5th is listed as the earliest start date. Um, To me, the AHL is a fascinating combination, though, of what's going to happen. Because the NHL, it depends so much on what the NHL is going to be. The NHL may be in four bubbles to start the next season. That is a legit possibility. Which, if that is the case... You're looking at once again more of a taxi squad because obviously you can't have call-ups and you don't want to break the bubble, and it's hard to run an AHL where you've got the top six or seven guys taken from each team to the taxi squad. And by the on way, on top of that,
0: I was listening to the um, Two Man Advantage podcast from your colleagues mm-hmm. over at the Athletics, yeah. Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBrun, and they had Bill Daly, who's the Deputy NHL Commissioner, on. Uh, this was this week. Sean the appetite for the bubble setup is very low for next season it is low it, but it's it, not what they want to do they know they can have a season but right now the way they would prefer to have a season is not bubbles and it's not without fans correct
1: the other issue too is the NHL you can push these things around and move these things around and you can you can make it work with you can make it work with 25 percent capacity or whatever fans and the AHL can't do that. There's too many teams that are, that won't be able to make it without fans in the building or real attendance. And so to me, the AHL, the AHL will be fine because of the NHL's connection with it. The long, long term, it'll be fine, but I don't even know if there'll be an AHL season for the 2021 season. Like
0: just, I, I don't know what it'll look like. There's, there's too much. Do we give Galpagus a late addition because the question came in as we said last question? I mean, regular what, contributor. It depends on, is it a good question? Yeah, it's about Hudobin. Uh Okay. He said, good, uh, good to see the cast return. A few months ago, I asked if Dobby was one of the best, five best goaltenders in Dallas Stars history, and you all said he wasn't quite there. Has that changed with his playoff performance? That changed with his playoff performance do you think that as of now he's one of the five best goalies in Dallas Star's history
1: um, well let's see our list before would have been turco Bell, Um what was our list I'm trying to remember what our list was
0: um I think Bishop was in that group
1: yeah I know Bishop was in that group um, I mean if he wins if he wins. If, if he wins if he wins a cup, for sure, like he's definitely like there's, like if he, if hard if he, to tell. If he... I think
0: Andy Moog was probably on that list. Yeah, um, and then you start talking about the the guys that have been good backups, right? Roman Turek, uh, Mike Smith, uh, Manny oh, I... Fernandez, Kari Lehtinen.
1: But and Kari Lehtinen, but here, here's the and Kari here's wasn't the even thing. a
0: backup for most of it.
1: The other the, to. If you're talking about best individual performance and like, hey, we can take one person from one snapshot in time, then yeah, then he is. If you're taking like, okay, hey, if we could take Anton Hudobin from the Western Conference Finals, yes. Sure. take. But you but have to
0: look at overall body of work, I think. You
1: have to take overall body of work. And if he's only here for two years, and if he's only here for two years, you have to look at impact and time and legacy and everything like that. but if that he now, wins
0: him a stanley cup that all goes out the window doesn't it 100 yeah so. so then he gets into that mount rushmore for sure so mm-hmm. all right sean that was really fun we should try to do it again in less than a month don't you think we should we definitely should
1: all right however
0: in less than a month we will already be into uh nhl free agency <laughs> A month from now, let's just point this out real quickly before we leave. A month from now, the NHL draft will have already happened. Somebody will have won the Stanley Cup. Free agency will have been four days in already. And we still may not have any clue of what next season is going to look like. So here's the thing. It's hard to get these Quarkas going during the craziness of the speed of this playoff. There's gonna be plenty for us to quarcast about once the playoffs are done. There is probably for a while. So yep, and then we may end up having more because they the the health experts have said this winter is not going to be very good for the the health of the the pandemic. We may be quarcasting a whole lot more. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. By the way, before we sign off, I want to applaud Sean for being microphone shamed by his colleague from Vancouver, Thomas Drantz, because he (laughs) is for the first time using a better mic today and headset. Let's see how the audio plays out. But Sean, bravo for that. Peer pressure worked.
1: (laughs) I guess sometimes it does, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week or whenever we do this again. Blackjack me, you.